Today is uh, part two of our series called Thriving in Exile, and what we're doing throughout this entire series is we're looking at how do we not just survive, but actually thrive in the midst of a country that's becoming more and more hostile towards us as followers of Jesus. Now, thankfully, we're not the first ones to ever have to deal with something like this. About 30 years after Jesus' resurrection, Peter, one of Jesus' followers, he writes a letter to a series of churches, a group of churches in what is now modern-day Turkey. And he addresses, okay, what do you do when your culture makes it feel like you're in exile right there in your very own country? And so we're just going straight through 1 Peter and Scripture throughout the entire series, just looking at what does Peter say that we need to do. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. You're going, wait a second, we were in 1 Peter chapter 1 last week. You're right, we're continuing where we sort of left off there. And then we'll actually get into chapter 2 then by the end of today's message. So continue there, turning to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you missed last week, by the way, I would encourage you to go back because not only was it setting up this series, but it's really setting up what's happening in our society right now, especially in the political realm. And so make sure you go back and, and you catch up on that. And what I'm going to do to start today is I want to ask you one question. I'm going to read one passage of Scripture to you. So let's start with the passage of Scripture. We read this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. Peter writing, he says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Now when you read that, the initial reaction to, wait a second, God, you want me to be holy like you're holy? My, my first reaction is, holy cow. I mean, come on, God. I don't even know that I can be as holy as like the spiritual mentors that I have in my life. The people that I look up to spiritually. I don't even know if I can be as holy as they are, but you want me to be as holy as you are and you want me to be holy in all that I do? Holy cow. God, I, I think that sort of sounds like you want me to be a saint. God's gone, well, actually, you know, yeah. Did you guys know this? In Greek, holy and saint are the exact same word. Did you know that? It's pretty interesting. And that's who God is asking you to be. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be a saint. And you're going, I don't know that I can do that. And so that's the question I want to ask you today. How many of you say that sounds a little intimidating? That sounds intimidating. That, that I am to be holy like God? I am to be holy in all that I do? Holy cow! I don't know that I can do that because, you know, God, I, I've been divorced or I, I was an addict or I, I can't control my temper. God, I, I sometimes can't even, like, control my own kids, much less my language sometimes. I mean, God, you want me to be holy in all that I do, that sounds impossible. Here's the good news for you today. The good news is you don't have to be holy because you already are. I said again, you don't have to be holy, become holy because you already are. This is the exact same thing that happens with salvation. Salvation isn't something you do. Salvation is a gift that Jesus gives to you. And your holiness is the exact same way. You are holy because Jesus has already declared that you're holy. 
And so what we need to do is, once we know that we're holy, that He has declared us to be holy, what we need to do then is begin to walk in that. Now, not in a self-righteous way of going, well, look at me, I'm holy. Not, not in that way. But realize that Jesus has declared, you are holy. Now, I just need to, to live up to that potential that He sees in me. And you know, once you understand this, it's going to make it a lot easier of how do you live in a nation that is hostile towards you in your faith. And let me explain it to you. Because, you know, much of the hostility in our country, it comes from people that, like, they don't like Christians. They say, I don't go to church. Or I stopped going to church. Or I'll never go to church. I hate Christians because Christians are all a bunch of fill-in-the-blank. Hypocrites. That's the accusation that this hostile nation makes against us. You guys are just a bunch of hypocrites. And you know what? Oftentimes they're right. Oftentimes we are a bunch of hypocrites. So here's the question I want to ask you this morning. And don't answer this out loud. But if somebody that is sort of hostile towards Christians, that maybe you're even close to, if they had to point the finger at any one area of your life that they would say you're a hypocrite in, what, what area would they point to? Is it how you treat your spouse? How you talk to your kids? Is it the language that you use, the jokes that you tell? Is it the, the posts that you have on social media? Is it the way you handle business at work? Is it the, the websites that they know that you look at? What is the area of life that they would point the finger and say, you are a hypocrite? See, here's what I know. There's always going to be hypocrites. We cannot rid the world of all hypocrites. We can't even rid the world of all Christian hypocrites. But you know the hypocrite we can change? Right. When you look in the mirror every morning, that person that you see there, anywhere that you're hypocritical, you can change that. See, instead of, of being hostile back towards a, a world that hates us, instead of returning hate for hate, what if we instead, we loved all people, we served all people, we gave to all people, we showed them that Christians are different. Imagine if all of us started to live in alignment with how God already sees us, that He's already declared that we're holy. What if we started to actually walk in that? Yes, the world may hate us, but let's not give them any legitimate reasons for hating us because of the hypocritical lifestyles that we're leading. Here's my big point I want to make to you. I put it on your outline this way. Holiness is first received before it's achieved. Say that again. Holiness is first received before it's achieved. Now that word holy simply means to be set apart for God. And when you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to come in and to be the leader of your life and you surrendered your life to him, it was in that very moment he declared that you are holy. 
So that's the first step. Realize that He has declared that you're holy. The second step then is walk in it. Live up to that declaration. Let's reread again there in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. Peter writes, Just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, quote, Be holy, because I am holy. Unquote. That little quotation there comes from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. And in Leviticus, we read that phrase there, not just once, not twice, not three times, but four different times of be holy because I am holy. This was God's reminder to the nation of Israel that I have chosen you to be my people. I have chosen you to be holy because I am holy. You are a set-apart nation. You are set-apart people. And now you just need to live up to that. You're set apart for my plans. You're set apart for my purposes. God is saying the exact same thing to you today as a New Testament Christian. Be holy just as He is holy. But you know, in the the New Testament, God isn't giving instructions to nations. He's giving instructions to individual people. And so He's asking you to be holy just like Him. Let me remind you, you're not holy because of what you do. You're holy because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Now we just simply need to live up to what he's already declared. And that goes back to a little bit of what we talked about last week. Remember the, the three aspects of the Trinity and, and what each role sort of is? That God the Father has chosen you. The Son has forgiven you. So that's last week, right? And that, that's even th- this part of what I'm talking about. God has chosen you to be His people. And He's offered you a way for your sins to be forgiven through His Son, Jesus. That's already been declared. That you're forgiven. Now it's up to you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk in that holiness. And you can do it. And I can do it. Be holy, just as He is holy. Peter continues on then in verse 17. He says, And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So conduct yourselves in reverent fear during your time of what? During your time of exile. There it is again. He's saying, look, you are going to feel like a people. And you're going to feel like uh, a people group. And you're going to feel like a a person that's being exiled in your very own country. That there's going to be hostility towards you. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. What matters is who has God already declared me to be? He's already declared that I am holy. But then notice that Peter says, God isn't going to play any favorites when it comes to all this. You will be judged according to what you then do. This goes back to something we talked about last week as well. That every single one of us is going to face two judgments. After death, you will be judged twice. The first has to do with your salvation. Did you accept Jesus' offer the forgiveness of your sins or not? That's a heaven or hell issue. Did you surrender your life to Jesus? That's the first judgment. The second judgment, anybody remember what it's called? Yeah, it's the Bema Seat Judgment. B-E-M-A. It's not Bema, right? We're not like from Massachusetts and talking about a little car, right? It's not a Bema. Right? It, no, it's, a, it's, it's the Bema seat judgment. The Bema seat judgment. Every single Christian then will be judged on what did you do with your time, your talent, your treasure, and your testimony. Say that again. 
You're going to be judged. What did you do with your time, your talent, your treasure, and your testimony? God has already declared that you are holy. Did you walk in that with how you spent your time? Were you holy in how you spent your money? Were you holy in using the gifts and the skills and the abilities and the talents that he's given you to serve his purpose, not your purpose? And then what did you do with your words? Were you holy in the words that came out of your mouth? You will be judged for that. It doesn't matter what trials we may go through. It doesn't matter that you may feel like an exile in your own land. What matters is, were you faithful to his mission? And what is the mission? What has Jesus given us the commission for all of us to do? To go and make what? Make disciples. But is it just about making disciples? No, it's about making disciples who can do what? Who can in turn do? Make disciples who can in turn make disciples. That's why we're here. You guys get sick and tired of hearing me say this, but you're not here for bonuses and raises and promotions and getting a nicer house and a better car and getting your kids on the right soccer team. That is not why you are here. You are here for one purpose and one purpose only. He has already declared that you're holy, and now you need to walk in that in your time, talent, treasure, and testimony, fulfilling his mission to make disciples of all the nations. That's why you're here. Verses 18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. I mean, do you understand how awesome that is of what Jesus did for us? Because in every other system in the world, first comes an action, then comes judgment. First is an action, then is the verdict. First comes the, the action, and, and then people, they like judge you on what you did. That's not how it is in Christianity. It's the opposite. First, the verdict is handed down. You're not guilty. Because of Jesus, the, the precious blood of the Lamb that Peter talks about here, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, you are not guilty of your sin anymore. The verdict came first. Not guilty. And now, you just start to walk in that. You be holy just as He is holy. Now, I know that word holy may be freaking some of you out because you're like, it seems like just this like impossibly high standard. <laughs> you think that like, I gotta like have a little halo on my head. I gotta have like some angel wings or something. Then I'll be holy. Then I'll be a, a saint like you were talking about earlier. And so if that word holy is intimidating you, I want you to think of another word because it's so similar to holy. It's the word integrity. That you need to live a life of integrity. And what does integrity mean? Well, according to the dictionary, integrity is a life that is free of corruption, that has a quality of being honest. Integrity is having a strong moral character. Integrity is having moral principles. Integrity is a state of being whole and undivided. Now, to, to further sort of clarify what integrity is, let's think of another word that actually comes from the same uh, root word, and that is integrate. What does integrate mean? Well, 
Integrate, according to the dictionary, is to combine two or more things together so that they seamlessly become one. As followers of Jesus, we are to integrate our lives into his so that we become one with him. It's not about us anymore. That moment that you prayed and you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you said, I'm giving you full control of my life, what that means is you are becoming holy. You're setting aside your life, the old you, the old ways. It's no longer about you anymore. You're setting that aside and saying, I am now integrating myself into Jesus. And how do we prove that we've integrated into Jesus? We live a life of integrity. We live a holy life. Not because we're trying to impress him. He's already declared that you're free. He's already declared that you're forgiven. He's already declared where you're going forever and ever and ever. That you're going to heaven. He's already declared all these things. He's declared that you're holy. Now you're just simply going to walk in it. In other words, holiness is setting your life aside saying it's no longer about me and and what I want. It's not about my mission. Now it's about his mission. It's not about my ways. It's about his ways. It's not about my thoughts. It's about his thoughts. It's not about my words. It's about his words. In every single way, in every single aspect of my life, I'm setting myself aside for him. And I'm getting integrated into who he is. Now, just in case this still doesn't make any sense to you, I want to give you a visual illustration that will hopefully help you in understanding what holiness is really all about. So, I brought a prop with me here today from home, and this is my toothbrush. This is my toothbrush, a little electric, you know, toothbrush. In my household, this is holy. Let me explain why my toothbrush is holy. My toothbrush is set aside. It's set apart for one person and one person only. Lisa cannot use my toothbrush. You can't come over to my house and use my toothbrush. It is mine and mine only. It is holy. It is set apart for me. It's also holy in that it's set apart for a mission. What is the mission? To do what? To clean my teeth. Guess what else I use this toothbrush for? Other than cleaning my teeth? What? Nothing. I don't clean the grout with it. I don't like scrub my toenails with it. <laughs> this has one purpose and one person, uh, purpose only. One mission, one mission only. Keep my teeth clean. That's it. That's all it does. One person, one mission. And what you need to understand is your life is like the toothbrush in Jesus' hands. You are to be set aside for him and him only. Nobody else. Him only. And your life is set apart for one mission and one mission only. Let's talk about what it is again. To do what? To make disciples. Who in turn can make disciples? Who in turn can make disciples? That's why you're here. One person, one mission. 
Does that help illustrate what holiness is? I know it's sort of a weird illustration, but hopefully it helped. That's holiness, just like a toothbrush. You are to be holy, just as God is holy. So integrity isn't just you saying that you believe in Jesus, it's you bringing every aspect of your life in alignment with his word and with his will. Now, let's be honest, is that always going to be easy? No. Why? Because your mind always wants to do other things for you. You see, when I say that your life is set apart for one person, it isn't one person and you. You are fully to be set aside for Jesus. But your mind is always saying, but I want, but I, I need, I, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do... No, 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 no. Jesus and Jesus alone. And also your mind is going to fight against this whole idea of being holy because, again, you, you think that, that holiness is that you're like some sort of an angel or something, you know, and you're going, you know, after all I've done in the past, after all I've said, after all the sin that I've committed, I'm going to be holy? So your mind is constantly trying to fight against this idea of you being holy. And Peter, he, he describes this battle for the mind. Look at chapter uh, 1, verse 13. He says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. What Peter is saying here is basically the same thing that Jesus' brother, James, had to say. That faith is more than just what you believe. Faith is what you do. Faith is something you have to put into action. And so be holy in all that you do. Remember, Peter said that to us earlier. Be holy in every single thing that you do. Yes, Jesus declared that you're holy, but you've got to start walking in it. And what that's going to require, Peter says, is self-control. You have to have that self-control because all kinds of temptations are going to come. Either it's temptation you've brought upon yourself or Satan's bringing it or other people in the world are trying to steer you in the wrong way. There's all kinds of things that you've got to exercise self-control and go, no, 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 no. Man, my, my heart, my flesh, my desires are to do this, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to have self-control because if I don't, that isn't walking in the holiness that Jesus has already declared me to be. Verse 14. Peter writes, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but you're no longer ignorant to such things. In other words, you used to not know any better. When you, when you were living a life of sin, you didn't know any better. But now you do. If you didn't before today, now you do. You can't continue to live in sin. You have to have self-control. You need to walk in the holiness that Jesus has declared you to be. We've got to do that. But so often, we live according to the voice in our head or the devil or other people. But we have always got to listen for Jesus' instruction and do whatever it is that He says that we should do. No matter how crazy it may seem, we can't slip back into the old patterns that we used to live in. Listen to Jesus and Jesus alone. Now let me give you an example, actually from the life of Peter. At the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, remember Peter was a fisherman, and Peter, he was out all night long fishing 
It was early in the morning. He's been fishing, not getting anything. And this is what he needed for his livelihood. So you can imagine how depressing it was to, to work all those hours and nothing got accomplished. And so he, he's bringing his boat back in towards the shore. And right along the shore, there's Jesus. And Jesus is preaching a sermon to a crowd that had assembled. As Peter gets up closer to the shore, Jesus sees him coming in. And he says, hey, could I actually borrow your boat? And, and what Jesus does is he actually gets up in the, the top of the boat and he uses it almost like a little pulpit, you know, or a little stage like I'm on you, to be a little higher than the crowd so that everybody can see easily and maybe even be able to hear a little bit more easily. And Jesus preaches a sermon. And when he gets done, he says to Peter, he's like, uh, why don't you like put the boat out just a little deeper water here and then let your net down over the side. Now, if I'm Peter, if I'm Peter, I'm going, Jesus, you know, I've seen some of your carpentry work. You are awesome at that. Like making furniture and all that, you are really, really good at carpentry. And, and Jesus, I have never heard somebody preach the Word of God like you preach it. I mean, you are fantastic at that. But Jesus, you are not a fisherman. I'm an expert fisherman. I just fished all night long. Nothing is happening. And besides that, this is the wrong time of day and this is the wrong part of the lake. So again, that's how I probably would have responded. That's not what Peter does. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 5. We read, Simon Peter answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. I'm here to say to you, we need to have more of that kind of faith, the but because you said so kind of faith. That it doesn't make any sense to me, but because you say so, Jesus, I'm going to do what it is you've instructed me to do. And that's exactly what Peter does. He lets down the nets, and we read in Luke that immediately, like, the nets start to become full of fish. And Peter and his companions, they start to try to pull the nets up, and they're actually so full, they're afraid that the boat is going to sink. I mean, that's how many fish are in there. Now again, if I'm Peter, I'm probably doing a, a jig, right? I'm dancing, I'm shouting, I'm screaming, woo! Right? It's like winning the lottery. That's not what Peter does. Peter instead falls down onto his knees and he says to Jesus, get away from me, for I am a sinful man. Get away from me, for I'm a sinful man. I can't be in your presence. You are holy, and, and I, I never could be like you. I, I'm sinful. Jesus doesn't go away from him. Instead, he says the exact opposite. He says, come, follow me. You come and follow me. I want to spend more time with you, not less time with you. Because just as I am holy, I'm going to declare that you're holy. In fact, Jesus did something else in that moment. He declared that Peter wasn't going to be Simon any longer. See, his name was actually Simon. But he says, now I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock. And Jesus is like, I'm going to be the, the foundation. I'm going to be the, the cornerstone of this new thing I'm starting, an ecclesia a movement, a people in a common mission together. We translate that word as church. But Jesus says, I'm going to build this ecclesia. I'll be the foundation. And Peter, you're going to be the rock. And we're going to build this thing together. 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. That's who Peter was declared to be. Not only is he holy, but now he has a new name, a new identity as well. And that's what Jesus does for you. Not only does he forgive you, not only does he declare that you're holy, but he gives you a brand new identity. We need to walk in it. In other words, and I put it on your outline this way, my past problems don't determine my future potential. Yes, you were an addict. Yes, maybe you were addicted to something. Yes, maybe you had a, a porn problem, whatever it was. But that doesn't mean that you can't be holy. Jesus has declared it. Now start acting like it. So in light of all that we've read in chapter 1, and in light of everything that I've said to you here over these past you know, week and, and almost the end of two weeks, Peter writes this then in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Again, you need to walk in your new identity. This whole series is what do we do in a nation that is becoming more and more hostile towards us? Well, right there is the answer. Right there in that verse. Imagine if all of us began to live that out, that we ridded ourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. See, if you want to see change in our nation, right there was the answer. It's not picketing, it's not boycotting, it's not screaming at people on social media about how evil they are. How do we change a nation? We do what Peter said right there. Instead of returning hate with hate, we return it with love and service. We return it with an integritous life where we're free of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. But again, to do that, Jesus has to be the only voice in your head that you're listening to. Not Fox News, not MSNBC, not whatever QAnon is talking about, not whatever Rachel Maddow is spewing on about, not what's happening on Twitter, not what's happening on Facebook, none of it. Jesus and Jesus alone. Listen for his voice. Walk with integrity. Peter continues on then in verses 4 and 5. He says, you're coming to Christ who is the living what? He is the living cornerstone of God's what? Of God's temple. He, meaning Jesus, was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And now you are what? You are living stones being used to build a spiritual house. You're also a group of holy priests, and with the help of Jesus Christ, you will offer sacrifices that please God. Peter makes it clear here, look, Jesus was rejected, and so if Jesus rejected, you're going to be rejected as well. But have faith. Why? Because Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. And like Peter, we are the rocks. We are the stones of which he's going to build his church. He's going to fulfill his mission of what the ecclesia is about, to make disciples and make disciples and make disciples and make disciples. The gates of hell aren't going to prevail. Verse 7, you are followers of the Lord, and this stone is precious to you, meaning Jesus, the cornerstone. But it isn't precious to those who refuse to follow him. They are the builders who tossed aside the stone that turned out to be the most important one of all. 
Again, Jesus was rejected, and the same is going to be true for us, but we cannot allow that to impact our identity in Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, the temple was something that was man-made. It was built by human hands. It was made out of rock and stone. But as New Testament Christians, the temple is now us. The temple is our body. And who is the cornerstone? Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the one that is holding your faith together. He's the foundation of your faith. He is the whole reason that you can be forgiven. He's the whole reason that you can be holy. And now you are that living stone. You're like Peter. You're going to be strong. You're going to be courageous. You are going to be the one that the foundation of the, or the, the, uh, the, the building on top of the foundation of Jesus. You are to build his church. His church is solid enough to withstand anything, even whatever people are saying on social media or saying to us in our offices or our neighborhoods about our faith. And remember, when people reject you, actually what they're doing is rejecting him. He's the one that's solid. Verse 8, he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Let me be very, very clear. People are going to be offended by your life. But the reason they should be offended is because of what Peter wrote right here. That they're offended because they see Jesus in you. The gospel is offensive. We read that throughout the New Testament. That the gospel is offensive to people who are living in sin. So offense is going to happen. Just make sure the offense isn't you and that you're not living a life of integrity. You're not walking in the holiness of who God has already declared you to be. So don't worry about what other people say. Just remember who God says that you are. That's what we sang earlier. I am who you say that I am. Who has God said that you are? You are holy. You're holy. Verse 9. But you're not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. I love this. In the Old Testament, the priest couldn't be royalty. And if you were royalty, you were a king, you couldn't be a priest. It was two separate classes of people. Peter says, now you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We belong to him. What does it mean to be a royal priesthood? Well, if you don't like that word priest, think of what I always say to you guys. They were all full-time ministers of the gospel of Christ. That's who you are. You're a full-time minister. You are a priest bringing the good news that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins and we can spend eternity with Him forever. And so that's the part of you being a priest is bringing that good news to other people. But then you can also be royalty. Why? Because you're a son or you're a daughter of the King. And what you can do is bring a taste of heaven down to earth. You can bring up there, down here. And so not only do we share our faith so that People can be forgiven of their sin, but then we're 
going out as royalty. And we're not using the royalty for our own advantage, our own privilege, our own power, our own position. We're using it to say to everybody, you matter to God. You matter to me as well. And we serve people and we love people. We care for people. All people. We use what has been given to us for the benefit of others. I'll wrap up then with verse 10. Peter writes, Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And I hope this is all making sense to you. That God has already declared you to be holy. He's already given you His grace. He's already given you His mercy. Now our job is to walk in that holiness. To live a life of integrity so that people look at us and go, there's something different about you. And man, I want to hate you. I want to talk all kinds of nasty things about you. And I'm still probably going to do it, but I'm being convicted because of the life that you live. This life of integrity. And it's very obvious that you are integrated with Jesus. See, here's what studies are showing. A lot of people in our nation, they don't like the church. Like It's, it's more than 50% of people now in our nation when they're surveyed. They don't like the church at all. And they don't like Christians. That's over 50%. But you know who they do still like? They still say they like Jesus. And so, it's really they're not rejecting Jesus so much as they're rejecting us as Christians. And they're rejecting what the the church has become. So you and I have a chance to be different. To live a life of integrity. And show them that Christians want to love and serve and we're compassionate and we want to help all people. I hope you'll join me in trying to live up to who God has already declared us to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity we've had to come to worship you and to once again dig into your word. And Lord, it's getting tougher and tougher here in our nation uh, to, to be a follower of yours because people hate us. But Lord, help us to walk with integrity. Help us to, to just do the things that you would have us to do. Like, like Peter, that it doesn't make sense oftentimes. But then we have that attitude. But well, because you say so, Lord, I'm going to do it. Lord, we know that when we do that, that is the absolute best way we can possibly live. And so help us live that life of integrity. Help us to be obedient to your spirit and realize that God the Father, you have chosen us. Jesus, the Son, you have forgiven us. Now your Spirit is going to empower us to go out and make a difference in this nation and in this world, showing all people that you matter to God and you matter to us as well. Thank you, Jesus, that you've changed us. Now help us to change the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.